0: Hey, going to South by Southwest, I am. Come see a live Nerdist Writers panel with uh, Diane Ruggiero and some other great guests. Uh, Diane is on iZombie right now, so that should be a fun chat. Uh, On this Sunday, March 15th, South by Southwest at the Gaming Geek Stage at Palmer Event Center. It's Sunday at noon o'clock. Please come join me. I will be embarrassed if no one shows up. We're also doing a bunch of Thrilling Adventure Hour panels uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Check thrillingadventurehour.com for the where's and when's. Hope to see you there. And if I do, please say hello. Thank you. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, everyone. This is Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I myself am a television writer, having written for such shows as Supernatural, Nickelodeon's Super Ninjas, and I'm currently working for the DreamWorks program Puss in Boots, which is available right now via Netflix. Uh, check it out. It's pretty fun. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage show in the style of old-time radio uh, that is available as a podcast here on the Nerdist Network. For information about the Thrilling Adventure Hour, go to thrillingadventurehour.com.
1: It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker Where he gets a bunch of writers and he asks
0: them lots of questions. And it's turning out so this will be the end of. The theme. Uh, are we?
2: Are we? Do you know if we're talking about the any of the Vimeo stuff? Oh. Like the the class? Yeah, because we're gonna find one, out.
1: I think we're gonna find out. I mean, that's yeah, what it's yeah. that's what it's yeah, for. That's what I we agree. assume. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 that, that's how you got sold. 'Cause
3: we could just go off on tangents.
2: Yeah. Yes. No, oh count on no, the tangents. Tangent. We're, we're very
1: ADD, so don't worry. Count on the tangents the well. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no no this is the wrong no, place. place. Okay,
1: okay. Um, okay, well, listen. Let's uh, let's get into it. This is it's. Is there a formal the beginning, or do we just dive
3: in and be like, "Hey, what's Are, up?" Exactly.
1: We're soaking in it. <laughs> That's how we like all to that do Zoo it. Crew stuff we were talking about. It's,
3: before. All it's in. already in. in. That's
1: all yes. in. Yes. On the record. Um, welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel, guys. This is Heath Corson on special assignment. I am here at the uh, Stupid Buddies offices. Uh, with and this is the part where I put we're you have to you say my name so, so people name. can understand
3: who I am. Uh, right. This is Matthew Sunrise. I am one of the co-creators of Robot right. Chicken.
1: I'm John the IV. I'm one of the executive producers of Robot Chicken.
2: And I'm Eric Towner, also executive producer of Robot Chicken. That's Fantastic! Because yeah. yeah. we're going
3: to talk about Robot Chicken.
2: Awesome! Hey.
1: Um,
3: I know that show. Heard of it?
1: Matt, tell us where Uh-oh. the, uh, yeah, this is where you have to <laughs> stop the right now told all, a thousand, oh, times. thousand times, I'll roll up my sleeves. <laughs> tell us, how did the show get started, where did it come <laughs> from, how did you decide to do this, and why stop motion?
3: Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, why in God's name <laughs> would
3: you say, I know what we should do. I'll try to motion. do the abridged version, because there are probably better versions than I can already tell myself online <laughs> sure. by myself. Um No, I think uh, it really started. I was working at Wizard Magazine at the time. Um, And uh, while I was working there, I had met Seth through doing an interview with him. Okay. And we just became friends because he's a big geek and I'm a big geek. And um, over the course of time, he was talking about wanting to do something uh, for himself and maybe do something for Conan O'Brien because he was going on Conan O'Brien and didn't have much to talk about. So he was talking about doing, a, creating an original short, like okay. taking like a little animated short on. So we started talking about what that could be. And uh, he had an action figure that just come out from either Buffy or Austin Powers. And uh, Conan O'Brien had a, a toy that he used on his show a bunch. And he was like, what if those toys went on an adventure? And through that, we started figuring out how we wrote something. Um, and then we started figuring out how to do stop motion animation which we had no idea what that entailed. And we walked down a long, crazy process that uh, ended up us getting a bunch of internet shorts. So we did 12 internet shorts for Sony Digital at the time called Screen Blast. Uh, but this was in 2000. Okay. Uh, nobody could download these internet shorts because it was all <laughs> dial-up. So we basically created about almost an hour worth of content that nobody could see. Right. And through that hour of content, which was you know a bunch of shorts... Uh, we were able to pitch that content around to the television networks. And just at the right time, Adult Swim was forming. Uh, Seth MacFarlane had just uh, put his uh, repeats on on Adult Swim. Uh, Sam Register, who was at Cartoon Network, who we pitched, right. was like, hey, this is too old for us, uh, but we have this other division. You should do it. And the two kind of lined up perfectly. Where we ended up uh, pitching Mike Blazek at Adult one Swim. Of
1: the, one of like cornerstone shows of Adult Swim at the time, it, like it really was.
3: We were kind of in that second wave at Adult Swim, which was really yeah. nice. You know, started out with like Space Ghost and the Brack Show and stuff like that, and Sea Lab. And then we were in that wave with like Venture Brothers and right. and uh, Tom Ghost to the Mayor with Tim and Eric. Um, so we, we, we hit it. that really we, I, If you're using comic book references You, you were know, the they Silver were, Age We were the Silver Age, exactly right. And um, it ended up working out really perfectly And um, yeah, I guess it, it was not, Nothing was really like it on television Which was lucky for us um, We were just a sketch comedy show using toys right. and, uh, and it worked out in a way where you know, Fans really responded And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a blessing Because we had no idea what we build, people were going to think
1: and after those first twelve shorts, yeah. were you like, "Oh no, this is exactly where I want to be." Like with, I want to do sketch comedy with toys. No, because that's great, or, no. I mean, not was that first year challenging?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, when we were doing the shorts, it was two thousand. I was still working at Wizard Magazine, so I had a day job. Um, Seth was acting, so he had a day job. So we <laughs> so would who's finish. Working? Yeah, so we would finish <laughs> working at like six, seven o'clock, and then from like seven to about four in the morning we were working on writing the stuff and then looking over all the stuff that the animators in the puppet department and the and everybody else was doing and even dumber at the time of doing the shorts we were building the sets and puppets in new york where i was living with some of the other writers and we were shipping the sets and puppets out from new york to los angeles um which costs way more than if we probably just did it all in los angeles right <laughs> It was very dumb. I mean, we had a Brooklyn Bridge set, I'll never forget, that we FedExed, and that FedEx charge, when I saw that bill, my head almost exploded, because <laughs> I had no concept of what that would be until after the fact, and, um, yeah, Sony didn't like that too much. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was great. I mean, um, after that, we thought that was it, and we were done. Um, you know, we had this in the back of our minds, it would be awesome if it was a TV show. We spent four years pitching it around, and for those four years... 9-11 happened and nothing was funny for six months to a year. So right. pitching it for them was just a waste of time. Then Comedy Central we were talking to for a while and, you know, it was really close with them. But at the same time, they switched uh, leadership in the middle of it. And then you start all over again in negotiating. So it's just like we just didn't know if it would ever get its legs. And, um, yeah, and then 2000, end of 2003, we met with Mike Lazo at Adult Swim. And, you know, the first thing out of his mouth was... Uh, I don't like stop motion that much, <laughs> but I think your show was funny, and we were like, okay, and uh, and he was he was great. I mean, it, it just twenty episodes right out of the gate. It was awesome. That's yeah. amazing.
1: They they really believed in us. That's amazing. Well, Guys, w- walk me through the process. What is the process of how do you how do you figure it's out you the, I know, I know, the idea for the sketch? Once you have the sketch on the on paper how you build it, what's... Here's something that I always thought was super interesting. How do you figure out the scale of what characters you're having in what sketches? Because there's different levels of dolls. I know with the uh, the DC show, there were a lot of Mego dolls and not the little small action figures. So is there a different response? Are smaller characters funnier? Are bigger characters funnier? Or is there something to be done with the movement? Thought a lot about
3: this. (laughs) I can see, like, I really like.
1: Let's dig into
3: this. I think it's case by case. Uh Um, You know, whenever we can do a GI Joe sketch and use the three and three quarter, it's awesome. You know, Um, we love doing it that way. But when you want to get more emotion and more personality out of characters. Those Mego figures just give you a lot more expression mm-hmm. than something so tiny. I mean, I don't know well, what you guys yeah, think. yeah, an
1: example this season, we, there was a sketch with a teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where Shredder and April were dancing, uh, talking about Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> and they were dancing, and it, it was really nice, and it was a good moment together. And if those were just the original figures... They'd be very rigid, and they would right. look. It wouldn't Nobody look like, can see what you're doing. Oh, my right. arms are moving up and down <laughs> like, a, like a
2: robot. Left and then right, left and.
1: Then right. Um, so it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have the articulation well. of the newer. Exactly. Figures, right. So right. those were Mego puppets because it worked better for the story. Right.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think even with the DC special as an example, I think there were already existing Migos that we were fond of, um, sure. and we put a lot of. We just kept it in that that because it's one continuous story in a lot of ways, uh, we wanted to keep a very specific style. Same with the Star Wars specials. We wanted a very specific style. Like We even avoided Legos for the most part and going to different Star Wars Mm -hmm. styles in it. Um, When we had sketches, if you look at the DVDs, you can see some of the deleted sketches. But we just felt like it it took you out of the universe that we were building, which is different than the regular Robot Chicken stuff where you can jump all about and you can flip between... um, any style of action figure you want.
1: Right. So walk me through when you guys get a script. How do you, well, what's next? Well, from there,
2: we're recording. So we go straight into voice records, and we do we do all that in-house here at Stupid Buddy Studios. So it's really just getting getting those performances, making them really funny. And then from there, everything gets uh, cut into an animatic. So we'll take the storyboards and the audio and then marry that together to time out the episode. So you're basically seeing a full episode before it gets animated and because <clears throat> stop motion can be time consuming you know it's really important that we lock the timing before we start animating, and then so from yeah from there everything gets built. So you know the departments, the set department, the puppet department—they're seeing everything that's coming up, and and uh, they start just fabricating all that stuff. So all again, all that stuff is it's all house. done in house. Everything's yeah, in house. We yeah. don't farm any. It's not like it's going overseas or anything yeah, like that. And, yeah, you know yeah. sometimes. Well, I mean, we've got kind of a library of stuff we use from previous seasons of Robot Chicken, and. You know, some of it is based on toys, so we'll be modifying toys for some characters. Um, but yeah, and then the magic of animation starts. And once all that's locked, you you have something that's already really funny. But you know, bringing the character animation to it, and then you know, like. Finding the jokes within that every step of the way is uh, is an opportunity to make the show funnier. And right. so even through animation, like, there'll be jokes that weren't originally yeah.
3: thought of in the writers room. I always things. say our animators are our second set of actors. You know, you have the voice actor, but the animator is giving the performance. And unlike, right. you know, when you do a live action, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, movie or television show, these animators get one shot give the performance of the life. It's like a stage performance and yeah. they have to add that personality to what they hear um, in a way that is just is different than shipping something to a 2D or a 3D you know CG type of thing.
1: And is that... Is that relationship challenging? Is it easy to? Uh, and what, I mean, you're laughing. Well, I, I mean, it's got to it, be.
3: No, it's just funny because I come more from the writer side. These guys started as animators, so right. so I mean, we get along great.
1: <laughs> I mean, talk about Set the challenges it with the, because I have to understand that from coming from the writing side. That's a, a quick process to bounce comedy off in the room is collaborative right. it, and it's quick it's so and it's easy fast. for them to think of a huge <laughs> yes. field with long I flowers and- yeah. <laughs> It's really exactly. easy. Yeah. and then to and go then someone's got to make the animation that. is basically let's now do comedy in slow motion <laughs> it's like that do you ever change things midstream are there jokes that you now sit with for a week and go, this isn't going to work anymore. I hate it now. We just we did a punchline for a week. Once and now the, the
3: trains moving, it doesn't you, stop. You got to commit. Yeah, you, and you commit, um, and then it's making it the funniest it can be. So even right. if something isn't working, you find the way to make it work at that time. Yeah, okay. exactly.
2: And there's there's humor and limitations too. Like the show yes. actually, when it's uh-huh. kind of crappy, gets funnier sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like if you do have a puppet that's just a toy that can't even bend its elbows, sometimes that's really yeah. funny. Like we did this. Man uh, crossover with oh. Alien and Alf last season. And there's the cat, you know, like Ripley's cat. And it's just a piece of plastic. And it's not, like, the tail can't move or anything. But that's just kind of the cards you're dealt on Robot Chicken yeah. sometimes. But think it's it was hilarious. Blanking. It didn't even blink. It was just there, <laughs> kind of bouncing around. Right. But it's like, you know, you just kind of embrace what you get and make it as funny as possible. And as long as you're not missing the joke, that crudeness or those those, you know those shortcuts, cutting those corners can actually make the show funnier. So uh-huh. it's just like embracing all I of I thought you we were going to actually
3: say that we did this man tech sketch oh where God. the puppets, I mean, the, the toys, they can just bend. I mean, you don't see their faces. <laughs> you don't do anything. It can just lean forward and lean back. And so like them talking to each other, there's no expression. They're in helmets. Like you, there's nothing that these things can do. <laughs> and it was about the dialogue between them and just exposing the fact that, these toys are very limited and how much <laughs> that limitation could just play to the, the humor.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You
2: know, as as former animators on the show, um, it's kind of an animator's playground too. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing stop motion, I, I got I got into it when I was a kid, animating my toys, and never in my wildest dreams did I think, "Hey, this is something you can actually get a job doing and make a living like basically <laughs> right. playing with toys." So you know, coming to a show like Robot Chicken, where there is a demand for animators and really talented animators, and you know, to get get a job doing that it's kind of this surreal pinch me kind of a moment but it is like an animator's playground because you're you, there's not a lot of time to think about things so you just kind of like have to trust your gut and there's a lot of a lot of improvisation in the acting and all of that stuff and the the quota is really high you're trying to get like eight to ten seconds of animation done in a day where on some of the feature films they're getting three to five seconds in a whole week right and so you're just in there You know, hitting the ground running, making it as silly and fun and poppy and cartoony as possible and finding your moments to really embellish the animation. Right. Uh, But it's, you know, it can be a. You know, awesome time, like really fun.
1: And how many sketches are you guys working on at any given time, like all um, together?
3: We actually Ooh. shoot a lot. I mean, we we have I think like thirteen to fifteen stages going at any time. Okay. Um, you With know, like six was, six to eight episodes going on at the same time. Same time. time. Yeah. <laughs> so so again, like it, again, it's like live action where if you have a bathroom <clears> set, <throat> I always go to the bathroom for for comedy here. He's going to the bathroom um, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We're actually
1: in, in the, the bathroom, bathroom.
3: <laughs> recording this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we uh we will keep that bathroom set up um and do as much as we can possibly do on sure. that set. From eight different episodes, right. just because we can just keep recording where we don't have to reset, relight. Do you write to that? Um, no, we do not. <laughs> we don't think anything about that when we're writing. Wouldn't we that be nice? It, it would be nice. Yes, <laughs> we, say, "Hey guys, we've got these twelve backgrounds already yeah. running." Like yeah. we we don't limit ourselves in any way, which angers the rest of the crew. I'm sure. Oh, so sure. yeah, but um, <laughs> it creates the divide exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean it, that's what makes it so fun is just um. Yeah, you can do so much at the same time. We have, a, we have a back lot. So we have like a city streetscape that we can use, like going to any you know, feature um, lot here. You'll, it's the same type of thing, just buildings everywhere, storefronts. And we can just put the puppets right in front, put the camera where we need it to be, shoot it in eight different ways and you don't know it's you know, eight mm-hmm. different sketches.
1: Wow. Yeah. And what's the writing process like now? Like you guys have been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. How big your room? How many sketches do you try to get out a day?
3: Uh, we write in four week cycles. Okay. Um, so the way in which we do it is, so for those four weeks we have um, four main writers, our two head writers, uh, Tom and Doug, and then we have two other writers who are here for the full season. So those four are here for the entire season. Um, and then two other people, we will rotate in and out to get different voices every okay. four weeks. So, yeah, so that way... Yeah, and we're constantly looking for new talent, mm-hmm. up-and-coming talent. It's like,
2: you know, finding people that, that may not even have background in writing sketch comedy for a show, but they've done some really funny stuff that you find on YouTube. Right. It's always good to get a fresh
3: perspective you know. in that room, you know, some fresh ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always say, you know, so much, we, we like to find people from unconventional places. I mean, the... People I always brag about the most is like Rachel Bloom. We saw a thing that she had done on um YouTube. It was uh something called Fuck Me Ray Bribery. and I thought it was genius. And we lured her in and she'd be work- she worked with us on two seasons and now is doing her Showtime pilot. God bless her. And she's
1: doing <laughs> you know, is it. Um, is it Stop Motion? Uh, stop Motion. It's no, funny.
3: it's live action. That's a live action pilot she's doing. Yeah, she's doing amazing. Um, you know, and then or like uh uh, Eric Eric Weiner and uh, Jordan Allen Dutton we found from an off-Broadway show they had done called Famous Last Nerds we'd seen it we thought it was awesome we wanted to you know bring them in um, Hugh Davidson we saw the Groundling show and he's now running the Mike Tyson show um so yeah, you just find people from different places and you just want to bring them in and have a good time with them. Um, ben Schwartz, we saw a stand yeah. up, we thought he was great and you know, he's doing amazing. Yeah. Um, all these people yeah. come on the show and then we find them before they're doing everything else and then they go off and do their own things and that's we cool. lure, Yeah, and then we lure them back to like Ben just came back and recorded something for us. Uh, yeah, fun. Yeah, and like some of these writers when they have breaks will come back for our 4 weeks goof around with us and then go off to do the own thing So it's
1: a nice little alumni program yep. that, that you can lure everybody back exactly. in. Exactly.
3: And yeah, and it's a small group of us. I mean, the group has now grown. We've been doing it. I think there's been maybe a total of like 17 writers over the course of the eight, se- uh, seven seasons. Okay. Yeah.
1: And why the four-week cycle? What what why, what maximizes? Why is that the most?
3: Um, I think it gives us the ability to rotate in new voices. Uh-huh. I think that's what it really is because, again, when you're doing stand-up, if you get the same people doing it, we're generating so much content. I mean, we have 14 to 20 sketches per episode, right that you just you don't want it to start making it feel redundant. Um, you know I think new voices just bring new ideas and new perspectives that we really like and new voices.
1: And do you find that people are pulling from different? Histories like, like these people know GI Joe and everybody has different guy.
3: nostalgia. I mean, it's right. the same basic nostalgia, but like, I mean, the the me, Seth, Tom, and Doug have been here from the beginning, and, and Mike even. Um, we're '80s kids, you know, right. and I hate saying it, but I, we were at the convention, the, you know, at an Orlando convention, Orlando MegaCon, and we were like, "Who here has seen the Smurfs?" And like eight people raised their hand, and then one of them goes, "The movie." And we're like, oh, yeah, no one knows what the Smurfs are <laughs> as well as what we remember the Smurfs as. I mean, right. people today, we, you know, every interview I've done for writers in the last few weeks is even about, it's about the Nickelodeon kids. It's the 90s kids. I mean, right. it's, it's, the, it's the millennials. You sit there and you're like, it's a whole different set of nostalgia that we have an interesting perspective on. And I, I know the Power Rangers, um, but not in the same way that they do right and it's it's interesting to hear um and it's again a new perspective
1: and does that and that's clearly that effect the creative yep hundred I mean, percent do you start putting sketches together on uh, nostalgia that you you weren't even familiar with
3: yeah hundred percent because again it starts with a nostalgic feeling right but the dialogue is what makes robot chicken robot chicken where you know it's the tone our tone is very simple where it's taking these absurd worlds and making them mundane you know it, it's Again, it's the emperor on the phone talking about getting a sandwich, as opposed to, he's a beleaguered CEO dealing with having to run a universe, as opposed right. to, I have to get Luke Skywalker. Right. That's that's a secondary issue. He's got to deal with his day-to-day bullshit first.
1: Right. <laughs> Which is very funny. Yeah. Which is very grounded and, and makes for some very... Yeah. and like so, modern
3: Exactly. So you can apply that to any property that you want to apply it to. You just have to find... Thing, or you can do it with original characters, which we've been doing a lot with as well. You know, we had a lot of su- success with, like, our bitch pudding character or right. our nerd character has been hugely successful. Right. Our creepy unicorn, for some reason, is popular. <laughs> um, you know, we never know what's going to pop until you actually, you write these things and they come out. That gummy bear sketch that we did right. was a throwaway. It was a complete throwaway. It was a channel flip that happened and Michelle Trachtenberg came in and gave the performance that Everybody, you know, keeps retweeting and spreading right. out and it's on YouTube, you know, hundreds of millions of times. Maybe not hundreds of millions, but <laughs> whatever it is. Hundreds of millions hundreds of times.
0: Of but, millions of times. <laughs> but that's a know.
3: perfect example of the the it mixed between the animation which was spectacular and you know, um, Michelle doing the voice. Right. And that scream
1: uh <laughs> licensing do you guys ever get into trouble with with using what you want to use or there uh, it's we're at a place now where we're
3: free advertising for toy companies right you know people are sending out we're, we're on complex well, once upon a time once upon a time it was scary we didn't know what we were getting <laughs> into um but again i point to snl doing sketches about you know having uh uh Belushi played the Hulk, you know. Right. As long as there's commentary on these characters and you're doing it within, you know, parody law, you're fine and good to go. Right.
1: Have you had had people get upset or uh, companies say, we don't like the way that Um, Spider-Man came off in this? I
3: think, you know, I think the first person to really recognize it was... George Lucas, who called us up and said, why aren't you doing it for us instead of without us? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's been in the reverse. <laughs> I
0: it, mean, yeah well,
1: And how about that? I mean, that's, isn't <laughs> that an? It's such an amazing <laughs> shift in just culture, where all of a sudden this sort of handmade fan base... I mean, not that you guys yeah. are a fan. Uh, not that you're just fan base. These fan mashups, all of a sudden these companies stopped going hey, stop doing that because you're, you're ruining what we made. And now it's like, no, please, go do this and love it and go, go do this for us because they become...
3: Well, it's, it's interesting. Like there were, I don't know if you you saw South Park the last two weeks, but yeah. uh, South Park, like the last two weeks, all, all it was about was it's less about what the content is than the people commenting on it who are getting more views than the content itself. Which I thought was a fascinating thing. So, yeah. why are we paying? Why are the advertisers then paying the people to make the content, as opposed to focusing their energy on the people commenting on the content? Right. So, all these people who are, you know, these YouTube stars who are just sitting there playing, you know, Call of Duty while talking about it, are more important than the game itself. Right. Because they're the ones reaching the younger audience. Well, you, which what? is so meta and messed up in your own head, but then that makes us old to even say that because <laughs> that's what the that's what The younger generation
1: is watching. What you're talking about speaks to engagement Mm -hmm. and how you engage people just beyond your content, how you engage them in the dialogue which does become a meta aspect of the content, right? (laughs) I mean, is that something that you found as a creator and is something that you you court or want to do?
3: A hundred percent. Again, we're in an ADD world, you know, and from our side of things, that's why our sketches are as short as they are. Right. That's why our show is as short as it is. I always laugh when someone's like, you should do a robot chicken movie. And I'm like, how do you take ADD and make it 90 minutes? (laughs) Right. Okay, maybe there's a way down the line, but right now we're still playing to the fact that after a minute, you might flip to something else. After 30 seconds, you might flip to something else. After five seconds, you might flip to something else. Right. And that's the, our sketch is as good as the joke can last. you know. And that's, that's what we try what to is end up doing. What's the spot for you? Um, you know, I would say for a, a sketch, it's between 30 seconds and two minutes. Mm-hmm. Probably the wisest thing uh, Mike Lazo said to us at the first season was make the long sketches shorter and the short sketches longer. And then for the channel <laughs> flips, you know, 15 seconds is a good sweet spot for us, 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a it, it, again, it's as much as it needs to support the joke.
1: I wonder, do, do you guys see people riffing off of your stuff and doing it themselves? <laughs> like, do you see a lot of people uh, uh, doing... Well, I, I think that's the beauty of just stop motion in general, is mm-hmm. there
2: is a do-it-yourself community there. Like, right. When I started, it was doing it myself. Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with my toys <laughs> in my basement, because there's something magic about being able to create your own stories and, and you know, bringing a puppet or a toy to life. And so, yeah, I think you see that stuff on online all the time. Like people that are doing their own stop motion, creating their own shorts, creating their own content, and then just you know now they can put it out there, and as many people they can get to watch it are going to watch it. So I think that's that's really awesome. Like that that now like empowers the creators and the people
1: that you know kind of are passionate <clears throat> enough to just be able to to create something. And are you finding people that are that have? a lot more facility with this stuff like are you finding animators who have literally come up doing diy their own stuff and they're like oh i know how to do this absolutely yeah yeah Yeah.
2: i mean most most of the animators that are working with us now started doing it themselves because there isn't formal training there's people don't know that you can actually get jobs doing something like stop-motion animation because it's such a niche thing but there's such a demand for it now um, that's that's really why we got into teaching our own classes here at the studio, right? You know, so so you know a lot of our animators are either former uh, former interns that we've trained, or just people that have you know uh, like created shorts <coughs> that we've come across. It's like, hey, that that person really has a knack for that. We should reach out to them and, and you know them. have them do an animation test, or at least. Get them into a program so we can, you know, teach them. And well, that's,
1: so that's a fantastic segue to talk about the program. Hey, so I'll never sure what that. Was that, that, right? that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will. I will jump back and say, what's interesting about doing things like this is the ability to get out the information that oh yeah, these are jobs. Mm-hmm. Because I would say, growing up, I never, I never had anybody creative in my life. So to be able to go, hey, I want to be a writer. I want to go out. and I want to do stuff. I was up against my father, who was a big businessman, who was like, why don't you be a producer instead? Why don't you like? Why don't you be on something that makes the money? And, and it, Because he couldn't understand that, or he said, go into advertising. You want to write? Go into advertising. So, But now the ability to be able to do these podcasts or to talk about the creative process is really interesting because I now know a bunch of, there's, there's my nephews and my nieces in my life who go... Oh, this is a job. This is something that I can do. And so that's a really interesting thing. So let's, in that vein,
3: well, tell me about it. And the, the, also the difference is, okay. just adding to that, and it ties into all of this, is you have a phone on you at any given time that makes videos that you can create yourself where right. you don't have to be a rich kid to get a you know a, a camera of some sort that costs right. however much money it was when we were growing up. It was a pain in the ass. Right. Whereas now, like, anybody can create their own stop motion short just by having either a phone or a flip cam or just something that's very easy nearby you you have something um, at your disposal to to make your own videos right so it's pretty wild but yeah as far as the uh, the classes go I mean we were teaching classes in our our office you know uh, every you know like twice a year, basically. Yeah, and it, anytime
2: okay. we had some downtime and we had the stage space, uh, we decided to create our own curriculum. You know, like really relevant information to you know creating strong uh, character animation and stop motion. And so
1: this came out of your own, out it, of your own. Need. Yeah, in order like, to be able to just being more people, yeah, yeah. Our own
2: demand and you know hearing from uh, you know just really being connected to schools and kind of like you know, when I went to film school, there wasn't any stop motion classes, so I was just doing it on my own. And so, we, we started teaching classes here um, at the studio, and the demand was just really great. We found some really great talent through through those classes, you know, some some people that are now working with us, but it was really just limited to the people that, you know, could... Live in L.A. Could, could, yeah, could, yeah. like, basically come to the studio and take, take the class. And so, it was you know, we developed this really great eight week program that teaches you kind of, you know, uh, from, from beginners through kind of intermediate lessons, like really sets you off on a course of being able to become a professional if, if it's something you're interested in. And so we've taken, um, really all of that knowledge and all of that, um, those lessons and condensed it into a two hour, uh, video that we're doing with Vimeo. And that's, coming out on Monday.
3: So it's yeah. really exciting. Oh wow. Um, so yeah, so ultimately you'll be able to download it um, and have your own private lesson and private course that you can keep reviewing over and over, learning the little tricks of the trade, everything we do on Robot Chicken <laughs> and everything that we do on any other project that we're working on, just teaching like character animation, how to build your own puppet, you know, what kind of items you would need just even to do this, because how right. do you even know how to do this? Um, and then once you, once you do that, you can post those videos, and we'll be able to see this stuff, and we're always looking. Like, that's what makes it so that's great. That's really interesting.
1: That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about. Like, is there a community support with this sort of thing? It, and it sounds like it is. Yeah.
3: I mean, through Vimeo, they've been really great, and, you know, there'll be ways for us to be able to watch whatever people are posting. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah.
1: Very cool. And is there a charge for the two hours, or
0: is it...
2: There is, yeah. So I, I believe the pricing is the two-hour video will be $99. Okay. Um, and the first, I, I, I think the first amount of people to get it are going to get a discount. We might okay. take some discount codes and fun contests and things like that along the way. Nice. But yeah, very, like- very practical, useful knowledge. Like something when I was learning stop motion, had, I,
1: had something like <clears throat> this been available, I would have been all over it. Yeah. Right. It's very detailed. Yeah. Which okay. is great. Cool. And so, how would they? Uh, if you are doing any contests or anything, where would people? Would they um, follow you on Twitter? Or would they? Our,
3: our Vimeo page.
0: The, the Vimeo. Vimeo
1: page
3: that's going to be launching. Yeah, it's a uh, Stupid Buddy Studios at, uh, Animation Camp, which okay, is going to be great. launching on Monday. I think it's actually at midnight on that Sunday night slash Monday. You better stay up. Yes, that's yeah. what I've heard. First um, thing. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, you guys have, uh, get a little discount.
1: And the hope is that people, that your community will keep growing and people mm-hmm. will do this. And, and are there plans for more in the future to do I think we'll, uh, a whole you know, series? I we'll, think
2: we'll see how the response is. But if, okay. it, if it's there and, and people are, um, are taking the class, then we'll definitely look at uh, covering other aspects of filmmaking and stop motion. Like maybe go more in depth on the character animation like do a more advanced or intermediate class you know for those people that have taken the next steps or maybe even you know diving into um, puppet fabrication like more in-depth So it's really you know it's it's one of those things where uh, we'll see where the demand is but i know from our perspective there's the demand to to find more animators and more talent right and hopefully people will download this if there any you know any interest in stop-motion animation will will uh, get this sink their teeth into it and it is a really inspiring video no too. college you know, just like, be has fearless like and yeah. just start creating you know and that's kind of the, the message and really for any aspiring animators just just do it and just is that practice. true that nobody's
3: very few I mean it's probably in like 10 colleges like yeah, it's, it's not very many. few and far between and that's what's re- I mean like CalArts is great like there there are places that do it, but again, this might even be a tool that hopefully you know uh, teachers can use, professors can use in their right. classes um, in order to teach as well. Um, but like, if you find random school in you know the Midwest, uh, there's going to be few and far between. Like, if
1: why is that? Why is it such a odd? Uh, it's a it's subsection a of animation. It's
3: a small, huh? small close knit community, or it was. Oh. Let me rephrase that. It was a small close knit community, but it's a real resurgence right now. I mean, there's so much stop motion that's going on right now between box trolls just that came right. out you know yeah um, and i
1: think when kids like want to do animation i think they just think cg is what's available that's what's out there you know because ninety percent right. of animation is cg but there's a big demand for stop motion so i think that's what's good is you look around a little bit and you know if this thing exists in no matter where you are in the world you can yeah you know, and and yet the nostalgia factor of the, of the show is I, as a kid, I made my – I've made stories yeah. with my action figures and I moved them like this. Right, right. And then what's awesome about Robot Chicken is, oh, they're moving by themselves. Yeah. You know, I always thought back to those horrible uh, G.I. Joe commercials where they'd show never. the hand, yeah. and then they'd show the thing, like, go through yep. the coolest backyard, and they'd be like, yeah, this backyard's not included. Like, by the way, if you don't have a river behind your, uh, yeah. uh, your I always house, wanted are fucked. Backyard.
0: You know, fuck you you don't have a place to put this. All right. Sorry, I'm going to have double Harman Tanner in two minutes.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I know. There is no better way to end an interview than being like, we're too important. <laughs> in this room with <laughs> you. Matt's like gonna that. be here they, all day. They they don't forget just yeah. to make themselves look yeah. good No, right. all, that was yeah. all yeah. Complete. That we that hired her to That's yeah, yeah. perfect. Just like, hey, yeah.
3: knock on the door. Notice, <laughs> you, didn't, like, exactly notice you didn't say exactly. me. Uh yeah. no, no, you knew it. I could just. Yeah, whatever I I'm fine.
1: Um well, any anything left to, to sum up with this, or or talking about why people uh, should should do it, and um, well, it's exciting. I mean, it's you if you want to learn it how it to play really with your exciting. toys, this is the thing to buy. Like, <laughs> like that's again,
3: it's like if you want to make your own videos and know how to do it, this is what you need. Like, it, again, I I I come back to I had no idea how to do stop motion when right. I started. And if I had something like this, I'd have been like, oh, okay, here's where I can start and how to do something like this. Right. It, and, and, again, it's, I even said, you know, as we were putting this thing together, it's for the basic. And then even if you know a little bit about stop motion, it goes there and it gets you there. And it, and it takes you to places where if you won't, it won't think you're more advanced, this will have things for you. It's, right. It has everything.
1: That's really neat. Yeah, it's really cool. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, go, go, run off. What <laughs> <laughs> you need to do? It's well, incredibly important. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, this is added value. Okay, this is, this is super added
3: value. This is this is this is like comic roots. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah,
1: and yeah. I, I said that uh, there was something in Wizard. You mentioned you came from Wizard. Yes, Twisted Toy Fair.
3: Well, yeah, yeah. So I was the editor of Toy Fair magazine for uh, a few years, and then I was editorial yeah. director um, with yeah from Wizard for a while. Um, but no, I. Uh, I started in comics. I thought all I was going to do was comic books. Like, I didn't expect to go out of comic books ever. Um, I started at 16. Okay. Uh, I, my dad uh, came home. He had just uh, heard that there were high school internships... At uh, Marvel, okay, and um, he was like, "Are you interested in applying?" And I was like, "Hell yes!" Right,
1: and And you were a fan,
3: yeah. And I lived in New York, and I was just like, "This sounds like an amazing summer job." And uh, I went and I interviewed and I did it, and um, I was one of two high school interns, and it was me and a guy named Joe Um, (laughs) Matarera. And uh, Joe and I were two people who photocopied everything that anyone ever needed uh, back in the day. And, um, yeah. What, it was, what was that
1: experience like? I mean, was, were you working at a that you knew?
3: Um, it was, I mean, at the time, you know, there were passing in the night people, like Jim Lee would pass by, and you're like, oh, holy crap. You know, right. but, like people would come in and out, and you're just in awe. Todd McFarlane would be there, and you're like, what's going on? And so it was, again, you were so young that it just was, it was. Bizarre, but yeah, we um, like Scott Labdell was trying to get into the industry at the time, you know, and we'd we go out to lunch with him and be like, "Tell us more," Um, you know. So it was it was it was a really a a wild time, and Joe had Joe at the time was an aspiring artist and you know he uh by the end of that internship he was just getting hired to do a marvel comics presents his first marvel comics okay. at 16 um and it was a north star story um and then he ended up doing that in a mojo story that ended up uh starting was first that came out first so okay. um so he gave me a page of that that uh hangs in my house right now nice. so um awesome. but yeah so we were we we Again, it was a small, close-knit group of us that got to know each other and start together. And then every um, summer after, through the people I'd met, I would get other internships at other comic book companies. So I went from there to um, Defiant. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got to learn from Jim Shooter. And, um, you know, he was very stern, but taught me a lot. Like, when it comes to writing, he explained exactly what needed to be in a comic book and just it was it was an amazing experience so i followed him from defiant for two summers to broadway comics um where i worked uh and so i was doing that i feel like i'm missing something and then during college i would intern because i went to college at wesleyan in connecticut Mm -hmm. and uh i would did two semesters of interning at the comic book legal defense fund Okay. So I went up there to Amherst uh, a couple of days a week, and I would try to drive and do that. But I was I was going to be a comic book guy all my life. Like that's really what my. What did you
1: study at Wesleyan?
3: Uh, I was a history major. Okay, because it was irrelevant. <laughs> what I learned in in college was. Uh, majors unless I was going into business or irrelevant Um, uh, but I just I loved history and history told you stories and from those stories you could get other stories Right. so yeah it was really exciting for me so from there yeah I got to bounce around
1: did that stuff seep into your uh, comic book work like were you like but that's just the thing I thought I always thought I was going to be a
3: writer and then when I graduated I applied for jobs and the first job I got Joe Yanarella who was uh, the senior managing editor at Wizard called me up and was like hey you know everybody in this industry, do you want to be a a journalist? And I was like, I've never really done that before, but that sounds interesting. And uh, so, yeah, I became a a staff writer at at Wizard Magazine and uh, worked my way up there for a while. And um, yes, between Joe and uh, Pat McCallum, who ran uh, the creative there, right. um, they taught me a lot. And uh, it uh, was a time
1: when that, when wizard was like is, yeah. the industry this magazine. Was, this like, was ninety
3: five, ninety six, 96. Yeah, and it was, a... it was unbelievable. I mean, it was the most fun I've ever had working at a place. Um, here I'm a boss and I don't have the same kind of fun that I had at wizard magazine. Right. The things that we did, the pranks that we played, uh, the people that were there, it was just, it was, it was a sitcom and, uh, and I loved every second of it. So, yeah. So, um, so that was great. And then, uh, yeah, it just trying to transition. So I was there, Toy Fair formed while I was there. Uh, it expanded to, you know, like multiple magazines. Um, and then, yeah, in 2003, I made the jump 2003, 2004, to, uh, wow, to bring so you were
1: there for a good yeah. I was there. Years. I was
3: there for eight years. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, through it, you got to meet everybody in the in the comic book industry. I mean, while I was working at uh, while I was working at um, uh, Wizard, the two things that I was doing to get out of comics, which I didn't even know I wanted to do, was. I did those uh, shorts for Sony Uh um, that turned into Robot Chicken and then I met this guy named Jeff Johns Mm -hmm. uh, who I hit it off with and became very good friends with and uh, one of my closest and dearest and we were talking and came up with this brilliant idea that we thought would be an amazing TV show and we're like why don't we try to pitch it together and we pitched a TV show to Fox and we sold our first pilot together and you know we were Ah. writing a pilot at Fox in 2002 and then they liked it so much they hired us in 2003 to do another and we wrote it together and then you know and then Robot Chicken happened at the same time that he was doing more and more TV stuff Ah. Um, so we're like hey man we love each other we're gonna work together and find ways to still play so um, that's how RCDC happened it was literally us sitting at dinner he's like hey why aren't we working more together I'm like I he's like you wanna do DC1 I'm like yeah that'd be great and it was just it was, that, it was literally that, that casual easy. yeah I mean he was in my wedding party it was like it's like you get to meet these people and you know them and it's like this close-knit group that you keep coming back to to want to work with like the people you start with you never know what they're right. going to become right and um, they're all talented and then once you're in positions where you can help each other out you just keep doing that right and that's what's so amazing I mean yeah through that yeah, it's just it's it's mind-boggling the incestuous nature of the comic book industry and how many people want to help each other. Yeah,
1: well, and the and the entertainment industry as a yeah, whole, I think very it's, much so. it's very true that the people you come up with are very much the that's the important yeah. relationships that you make and you know it's not about impressing the guy that's so far up there that they might <laughs> take a look at you. It's about you know being your buddy who you used to be an intern with goes. Oh no, I know yep. that's a good dude and, and I'll throw him a page and you know I'll, exactly. yeah
3: And yeah, we've just been doing that with each other ever since. Yeah I mean that, that group that we grew up with and started with I, I always point to as the amazing things that they're doing now and you just right. kind of like pat each other on the back, you go to dinner that you know that Wednesday night at a comic-con and you just kind of you know go, hey, it's going to get crazy and we're not going to see each other for the rest of this show. right but here's the calm before the storm cheers to everybody, and then you go off and do it.
1: Are you surprised uh, how big the show's gotten? Comic Con?
3: Yeah, Comic Con's turned into something different. Yeah. yeah comic Con is Comic Con is not about comic books anymore. Right. Um, it's work. You go, it's you work you do your thing. There are agency parties at Comic Con which is really weird. Really weird. Yeah. And and so
1: And people who don't give a shit about anything else are at the agency parties and you're yeah. like what it's really
3: doing? it's really bizarre, and, and again, I still like going because there are things there that I like. I, I was I was at the Avengers panel. I wanted to see sure. Um, but getting into panels is such a pain in the neck. It's so getting it's, into it, anything's a pain. It. It's a, it's overwhelming. It's just so overwhelming. Like I love the New York Comic Con right now. Mm-hmm. Um, going there, I think it's what I wish San Diego was. Um, as far as uh, just like it's very comic centric, and entertainment is kind of a secondary yeah in a way where comics is still the primary. Um that's what it, that's what's missing. It's they you want comics to be primary. You know mm-hmm. the fact that it that th- those are the things you want to take it. Otherwise it's just a pop culture convention. Right. I love Orlando MegaCon. Mm-hmm. I find that to be I've a, been to that one. I find that to be an amazing comic book convention. Um everybody's dressed in costume, they're having fun. It's about buying and selling comics. It's it just it has that kind of feel to it. Yeah.
1: Um yeah Would you, uh, um what was I just going to ask you about? I I, I, was, I was in New York for the very first time, and yeah. I was really impressed with that. I was there with the, It's growing fast. I yeah. mean, it's
3: growing very fast, yeah. and who knows what it's going to turn into. I just know right now, like, I just, I go, and I just have a blast. Right. And, and I know that I'm going to find things that I can't find anywhere else. Right. And it's not exclusives that I'm finding. It's just... Things at dealer tables that I was like, oh yeah, check this out. I didn't even think What's this thing. experience yeah. you're collecting?
1: Yeah. They tend to be a little smaller and not as loud and not as exactly garish.
3: Yeah, and again, it's like I just feel like the comic publishers are more present there. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I it just it's, it's it, or at least more of the focus. Right. right? Yeah, which I like.
1: So you are? Do, do you still collect? You still
3: read? are You still a fan? Uh, I I'm still a fan. I read some trades that I get occasionally. Uh-huh. I wish I had more time. It's yeah. really what it boils down to. Again, right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm working. Not only am I doing robot shaking, we have multiple productions, right? And multiple. It's it's all about time, and I have kids now, so <laughs> which makes it even trickier. So for me, I'm watching my my kids' experiences and reading through them. Like I'm getting. I just have been reading Ninjago comics with him, uh-huh. and like again, and he's he's five, you know, and right. that's what he's into, and so we'll do that, or we'll watch Star Wars Rebels together, and mm-hmm. you experience that. It's it's staying within the industry through a different set of eyes, um, and then I'll I'll get the stuff that Jeff reads, uh, just because. You know, I'm I'm a loyalist, and uh, you know, and, and and get to do that, and um, you know, Zeb Wells, who's been directing, when he was, I would read his stuff. Any anybody who I know, I follow more the creators that I know because I feel like it would be even disrespectful not to, and if I like them, like Jeff Loeb is like, uh, you know. A father figure to me because he was my very first interview at uh, when i was working at wizard and uh-huh. really held my hand and guided me in a lot of ways uh to get to where i am so anything that he's doing i will be very loyal to and make a point to you know follow but again that's it's again the perfect example of like when i hit wizard all these people were just helping me out and right. like being like hey you're the young kid we'll I'll, I'll we'll get there together and it's been really nice
1: one, well, it's neat that you get a chance to to give back and do that with this with this program. Yeah, sort of encourage talent. Yeah, well. and
3: again, it's, it's finding the same thing. Everybody who works here, it's so exciting for me, especially when you know the writers. When they go off and do their own projects, what do you need? Right. What do you need to do? Right. I, I, when you do that stuff, don't forget me when you're more famous than us. Right. Like that's all I ask in return is like yeah just enjoy I'm so proud of these people and it's not about competition which some people always find it's about and I really get annoyed about it when people are like that I'm like how could you leave us to go do this I'm like go do that that is the best opportunity you're gonna get and then you know when we can play together we'll find the way like I know and again you know Jeff will yell at me for saying it you know but it's like I know I'm going to work with Jeff Johns again I know we have multiple projects that we are going to do in the future and I'm not worried about when
1: we're going to do them because we've written a lot of them and they're sitting there. It's just right. when we
3: have the time.
1: Like, Well, it's it's certainly a more inclusive way to look at things than exclusive. Because yeah. I know a lot of people who have the Schoenfreude who it's like, <laughs> it's not good enough for me to do well, you have to do bad. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be... It never seems to be the case with comic book and fandom. Like, yeah. everyone's super excited because a rising tide raises all boats. Like, everybody <laughs> does well when... When everybody goes well, yep. you know? Like, that's a good
3: thing. Yeah, but I th- also think in people, and again, maybe it's a little bit of the New Yorker in me, where I'm like, there's this competitive nature that a lot of people have that mm-hmm. it's it's just trying to shake people out of it. And it is Hollywood in a lot of ways of like, you know, everybody wants to rise to the top in some way. Um, but it's finding those special people within it that you can end up playing with and having a good time. And right. again, it's, it's, yeah, I always say... Everybody's like, "Oh, you shouldn't work with friends." I'm like, "No, no, no. I, you know, I'm only going to work with friends right. um, because I'm not worried that we're going to have those types of clashes because I can talk things through with them and make it the best it can be."
1: And I think once upon a time there was a limited band- bandwidth mm-hmm. for where this stuff could all go. Yes, you know, very you true. have three networks and and there's no more room yeah. for stuff. And now we're not going to have. We're in the wild west. That. That's right. Yeah, like, anything can happen. That's right. We're not going to be putting any less screens Mm -hmm. around our house. There's only going to be more. And those more need more content.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Unless we're the commentators on the content, which is what we might end up turning into.
1: That's that's getting an audience as well. Exactly. (laughs)
3: that'll be my next job so
1: I mean professional commentator on stuff exactly that'll be nice work if you can get it I know just be the Max Hedgerum of everything and Uh run around and just
3: comment on it I wish Max Hedgerum was real I love that what's scary is most people listening probably don't even know who Max Hedgerum is no no
1: we're gonna but the good thing is
3: they can like check it on their phones exactly they'll They'll google it, it or they'll youtube it and see if anything pops up yeah um,
1: cool. Well listen, let's go take a let's tour. Let's go get a tour of uh, this place.
3: Sorry that I can't take all of you listening on this tour. No, it's uh, gonna be awesome
1: though. I'm gonna <laughs> tell you all about it. It's gonna be so fun.
0: <laughs> now leaving nerdist.com.